0: Well, as I mentioned tonight, we're going to be talking about debt, particularly credit card debt, but not limited to that topic tonight. We're going to be talking about unsecured, unnecessary debt, impulsive debt that is really the part and fabric of our culture that we live in. Uh, The books that I'm going to draw from this evening, I already mentioned one last week, Randy Alcorn's excellent book, Money. Possessions and eternity. Two other books as well that I drew from, got many statistics from these books. That's Dave Ramsey, a current financial guru you could say, of sorts. This book called The Total Money Makeover. And another book, which also he has a course with the same name. It's called Financial Peace as well. So I'll be drawing on these books as well to provide quite a bit of data for you to help you sort through this whole issue of debt. Not only God's perspective on debt, but also the practice of debt in our culture and society as well. Well, in 1863, a famous proclamation became law. And it reads that on that first day of January, in the year of our Lord 1,863. All persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then and thenceforth forever free. And the executive government of the United States will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. Does anyone know what that proclamation was? Emancipation Proclamation Act of 1863. Abraham Lincoln. Well, here in America, we would say that slavery no longer exists. Well, I will beg to differ this evening. Thankfully, yes, racial slavery is no longer legal in the U.S. Yet we have another type of slavery that is shackling us as a people. And societal values as well that are seeking to repress, in the words of this Proclamation Act, any efforts that the slaves may make for their actual freedom. I'm speaking tonight about economic slavery. A slavery which is viewed as normal and acceptable today in our culture. I'm speaking about debt. Not only do we, United States, tolerate debt, we treat it almost as an inalienable right, as if debt somehow is in the Constitution's Bill of Rights. That is, to be human, to be a functioning member of our society, We have the right to debt. We have a right to credit cards. We have a right to spend what we don't have. That is the society in which we live today. At the federal government level, we have accepted debt and deficit spending as normal. Not just normal, in fact, as necessary. And so have many of us at the personal level as well. Our current national debt as of today, we're on the website, as of today, what day is it? At? May 21st is $11,300,682,069,186 and ticking. Well, if you do the math, that means you eat citizens of the United States, Shares a portion of the debt to the tune of thirty six thousand nine hundred and three dollars. Add to that the average household debt, not including mortgage, stands at thirty eight thousand dollars, not including mortgage. All the while we have failed to see that we are a people in bondage. We are enslaved. And that's in fact how Scripture speaks about debt. Let's take a look here. Under A in your notes, what does Scripture have to say about borrowing and debt? Well, when we look at Scripture, it is clear borrowing is discouraged, and in fact, in every biblical reference, it is a negative one. Borrowing brings severe warning from God. We see in your notes there that debt is bondage. Proverbs 22.7, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave of the lender. If you're a borrower, you are a slave to the creditor until you pay him back. You're in bondage that the money that you earn belongs, or at least a portion of it, to your creditor. In one respect, so does your time that you spend And earning that money. Debt is bondage. It's slavery. Secondly, we are warned in Scripture to get out of debt as soon as possible. We read from Proverbs 6 1 through 4. This is a father warning, pleading, and speaking to his son words of wisdom. He says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Do you catch the tenor there? Run. This is a matter of urgency. If you owe any anything, if you are in debt and have put up security, extract yourself from the grasp of the creditor. Free yourself from the slave master. It's a matter of utmost importance. In fact, you could say from this proverb it's a matter of life and death. We're also told in the... New Testament as well, to let no debt remain outstanding. Romans 13, 7, and 8. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding. That's the principle there. Accept the continuing debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding. Here's the heart of the matter. How can we be free to serve God if we are, or free to serve one another, by the way, if we are enslaved to human creditors? How can we? The answer is we can't. We are not free to serve God and all his purposes when we are enslaved to a creditor, when we are shackled in debt. The average family, according to the IRS, spends one-fourth their spendable income on debt. One-fourth is siphoned away to debt before they can even give or meet budgetary needs. The IRS also says that the average filer, tax filer, spends ten times more paying off interest than giving to charity to the church. In terms of stewardship, that's scandalous. Ten times more to interest to creditors than to charity or charitable causes. That's slavery. That's not freedom. And I'm afraid that we, I say we, I'm talking about the culture and the people, but I, I'm also including us as well. We are a part of that. Even in the church, I think in many ways we have been duped as well. We have not seen it. We've not seen debt for what it really is. We have been marketed to. We've been lied to. We've also received those lies and believed those lies because our hearts, too, have been enticed by the material because Christ truly hasn't been our true treasure and blessing. We have been marketed to by the world. Scripture says that debt is slavery. It is bad. It is evil. The world says, no. Debt is necessary. In fact, debt often is good. Debt is the pathway to freedom, debt is a tool to leverage, like a fulcrum. Debt can bring freedom and prosperity. Now I'm going to qualify debt this morning as well. I do have debts. That is I own a home, or the bank owns the home, and I pay a mortgage. So it says I do have some debt. So we're going to differentiate as we go on as well. And I am grateful in one sense that I have a house. Yes, I am. And that I could get a loan. So we're talking not just about mortgages this morning. We're talking about particularly consumer debt, credit card debt, unsecured debt. That which we may have seen as a right or even as a good. And we've bought into the marketing of the world. For it says in your notes there, number one, debt marketing, debt is a product. It is. And it's a product that is being sold to us. Hook, line, line. And sinker. And most of us are buying that product, and we're quite happy to buy it, aren't we? I do realize that there are some here that are in debt because they could not avoid getting into debt. Circumstances occurred outside of their control. If that is you this evening, I believe God is merciful. I'm not trying to condemn you if you're in that place. But I also realize most of us here, most likely, if we have consumer debt, it's not so much because we have debt because we purchase things to meet our needs, but rather rather we purchase things to fuel our wants. That is where I believe most of us probably stand. We've been marketed to, we have bought into it as well. As mentioned last week, We may not believe in a, theologically here at Palm Vista, a prosperity or health and wealth gospel. But in many ways, we too can buy into that same doctrine of name it and claim it. How do we do it? Through our credit cards. We name it, we claim it. Why? Because we want it. Why? Because we think we deserve it. And it's those very lusts, the very lusts for things that we call often called rights, which are being marketed to us daily. But here's the reality. Debt as offered to you is not primarily a service to you. Debt is not charity. It is not being given away as charity. It is a product being sold to you. I was astounded by these numbers here. In 2003, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express and Discover. Four major credit card companies spent $567 billion in marketing. A half a trillion dollars spent in on one year on marketing. Right, Shoner? <laughs> you know that well. Marketing who? Marketing you, that you would want their product in the year 2000 200 million new credit cards were issued and this wasn't charity once again the average credit card holder owes $8,367 i've seen different stats on this as high as $13,000 the average credit card holder also has in his or her possession seven excuse me seven different Credit cards. We're those that are unwittingly marching into a store or surfing the internet with our credit card like a bug drawn to the bug zapper, aren't we? Ooh, that new digital ca- camera. And we're zapped. And we go back time and time again to the bug zapper. That is us as a society we are being enticed and marketed to by those who desire to profit. That is right, to profit from our bondage, slavery, and servitude. And we're also being marketed just a lot of bad ideas as well, even falsehoods about debt. And I've listed a few here, debt myths. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, debt is a means of freedom and mobility. Visa's advertising theme released for 20 years. That's a new one now, but for 20 years, it was Visa. It's everywhere you want to be. I don't know if you remember the commercials, but I still remember some in my mind from years back. There were some scene of the husband coming home to the wife. Credit card in hand. Next thing you know, they're whisked away and they're shown on some Mediterranean cafe overlooking the water enjoying the privileges of membership. The whole message, you can go and do what you want to do and go where you want to go. The credit card offers you freedom. Ah, but there's a price tag, isn't there? As we know, there is a price tag. Debt is not a means of freedom and mobility, rather of bondage and shackles. Number two, debt is a tool to bring prosperity. That thinking goes something like this. In order to make money, you need to spend money. In order to spend money, you have to have money. In order to have money, you have to borrow money. So we borrow, thinking we'll borrow capital and we'll make money and more money. Friend, that is like playing with fire. That is foolish. I believe it is presumptuous as well. We read in James 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. To use debt to make money is not a tool; It's presumption upon our God. And in many ways, it is playing God. What will happen when the economy turns south? With this thinking in mind, well, I think we know the answer to that. We're seeing it right now. It's called bankruptcy. It's about every business, retailer that's operating out of this debt mode, Circuit City being one of the latest, is now declaring bankruptcy. But more importantly, what will happen when Christ returns? What we have to say? Well, Lord, I, I spent it all, but, but I borrowed more money. I'm going to make more money for you. Just, can you come back a little later? It hasn't quite ripped the dividends yet, but it will someday. No, no, no. You haven't invested your money. You have squandered your money. What will the Lord do? Take the talent from that one servant and give it to the servant who has ten. That's what we read in Scripture. What we would do when Christ returns. Debt is not a tool that I believe should be used to bring prosperity. Three, here's another one. That's popular as well. Debt is necessary to build your credit. In other words, debt is really, okay, we don't like it. I agree, Corey, it's not good. But let's just call it a necessary evil that we have to um, oblige. The idea is this. We have to go into debt so we can qualify for more debt. So then we can qualify for a big loan so we can get more into debt i.e., buy a house. That, too, is a myth. Don't have time to go through it with you. If you'd like to, I can share with you how that is a myth. That Dave Ramsey and his book goes through that as well. Let me suggest it is a lie. Debt is not necessary to build their credit. There are other ways. And there are more myths as well. Well, I've just exposed a few of those this, this evening for you. But I also want to expose something else. I want to expose a few debt monsters for you as well this evening. It's the big elephant in the room that we don't talk about a lot, but it's there. I've already mentioned the first one, of course, and that is the credit card. I'm speaking of unsecured, unthinking, often impulsive debt. And the credit card, too often, is our friend in that. Well, a few stats for you as well. 70% 70% of cardholders carry a balance with an average of 18.3%. A little math for you here. If you carry a $7,000 balance on an 18% credit card and you pay the 2% minimum each month, you will end up paying $20,000 on your $7,000 Credit purchases. Friends, that's ugly. That's, the mon- that's a monster you're looking at right there. Credit card monster. But you say, Corey, but I can get airline miles and free rewards for my credit card. And I pay off every month. In fact, it's really free money. Well, what agency, CarTrack, says that 60% of the people, first of all, don't pay off their credit cards each month. So if you are, you are in the minority. Consumer Reports says that 75% of all airline miles are never redeemed, as well as the rewards. Well, thirdly, but I really do pay off my credit card each month. Check this out. Citibank calculates that a consumer using a credit card will buy 26% more than he would carrying cash. 26% more than if you're carrying cash. Why? Because it really doesn't feel like you're spending money, does it? You know, it's just a card, a nice little swipe. It's so convenient, so easy. But in fact, we've been pretty conditioned now to actually, we're getting more conditioned. The fact is, the swipe more and more now kind of feels like spending money more and more as you get used to it. So now they're developing what's called the wave card. I don't know if you've seen it now. There's some promos I've seen. Just wave it. All you do, you wave it. a hello, you know? Big hello. Shoo. Boom, money's gone. That easy, that quick. So once again, I am not saying you cannot have a credit card. I do possess a credit card. But we must be careful and also not be deeply thinking that it may not or cannot or will not affect your spending habits. It does. And credit credit card companies know that as well. Well, what's another credit, or excuse me, debt monster? I'd say the next one, in my estimation, has to be auto loans and leasing, or as Dave Ramsey calls, auto fleecing. USA Today notes the average car payment is $464 a month over 64 months. Most people, majority of people, get a car payment and they keep it throughout their lives, going from one car to another. If you invested $464 a month from age 25 to 65 to retirement, a normal working lifetime, and you'd invest that money instead into the, money, into the stock market, the historical rate of 12% over 70 years, you would yield $5,458,000. I don't know too many cars worth that, friends. We've got to do the math. I don't know about you, but that's bad stewardship in my book. Debt is not just slavery. It's poor stewardship in many cases as well. Well, auto loans. How about auto loans? Well, they are a terrible deal in most cases because the value of your car will drop or depreciate quicker than your loan balance. So what happens when you want to sell that car? Oftentimes, you owe more on the car than you can sell it for, i.e., than it's worth. Plus, when you finance a car as well, you often don't get near as good a buy on the sales price to begin with. There's something even worse out there than car loans, auto loans. And that is auto leasing, which is quite popular as well. Or we could say auto fleecing. Perhaps that is the worst of all. You are paying within a few dollars of what you would pay on a straight finance plan if you were actually buying the car outright. The only catch is at the end of your term, five or seven years, you don't own the car. Secondly, also, you're paying extremely high interest rates. The fact is, few know what those interest rates are because the Federal Trade Commission does not require those selling you the car, leasing you the car, excuse me, to provide a truth in lending statement. So basically, you don't know what you're paying, i.e., because you're renting the car and not owning it, they can get away with this. So what are you paying? Well, estimates would say about 14 to 15% interest off an auto lease. More than that, you have charges. If you turn the car in for exceeding the allotted miles, also there's almost always charges for exceeding wear and tear. It was funny, I often go out, into my driveway and I see my neighbor who leases cars regularly. He has a new car every couple of years and I'm always wondering why his wife is out there polishing the car (laughs) and cleaning the car almost every other day. Well, now I know as well. Excessive wear and tear, charges, etc. that await them upon returning or turning in their leased vehicle. You may say, well, man, I heard leasing is a pretty good deal, you know? That's something they told me. Well, if you're talking to an auto dealer, they're going to tell you one thing. The, the fact is, if you're an auto dealer, if you pay cash for a car, the average profit off that car is $82. But if they lease you a car, the average profit is 1000 to $1,300. You know it's what they're going after, don't you? But you say, once again, Corey, I can get a good deal on a new car at 0%, at least for the first 12 or 24 months. Perhaps you can. In this market, I wouldn't be surprised if you could, no doubt. But here's also the reality. A car, a new car, depreciates 60% in the first four years. Let's do the math again. Well, I, I like doing the math there. It helps me out as well. It drives on the point as well. You buy a new $28,000 car at 0%. What a deal! Well, it will lose $17,000 of its value in the first four years. You'll be losing the first four years almost $100 a week on your vehicle. So you might just roll down the window and throw out a $100 bill every time you go to work each week. That's how much you're losing due to the depreciation on a new vehicle. That, in my book, is a debt monster as well. And as a slavery, I would contest to you, it is also not the wisest of stewardship. Once again, I'm not saying you can't own a new car, particularly if you've saved for it in cash, and you plan on keeping that vehicle for many years, I think that's fine. You may do that. But I think the, the if is, are you paying for it outright? And are you, do you plan to hold on to it as well? Well, that's enough about cars. How about home mortgages, you say? Isn't there any debt that you allow here? Well, home mortgages, why, well, I, I do believe I put that in a little different category. My desire was in no debt at all. But I, too, have a mortgage as well that I'm paying on the home. But a home mortgage, unlike credit card, is a secured loan. That is, if you default in your payments, you have a trade-in. <laughs> that trade-in <laughs> is your home. But also, unlike, unlike a vehicle, which you can also trade-in, a home over time will appreciate. I realize in this market the last couple of years that's not the case. But if you hold it, historically a home, over time it will appreciate, very different from a vehicle. So I think there was a caveat for definitely debt in this area, but my concern is so much, it's not so much home mortgages, it's the fact that we often, because of our sinful hearts, desire to purchase more than we can afford. We've definitely seen that in South Florida happen over the last couple of years. It is a true temptation. A good rule of thumb I've read many times over by many financial consultants that do not buy a house or at least do not take a loan for a house more than two and a half times your gross income. Not more than two and a half times your gross income. But you say to me, but that's impossible. We live in South Florida. Well, that does seem impossible. At least it did up until a year or two ago. But what it does take is patience. And those who've had patience and did not buy when they could not afford, they're in a pretty good place right now, wouldn't you say, in our market today. Patience does pay. I've seen surveys as well that our generation, my generation, the first generation that believe that their first home should be equal or bigger in size than the parents' home, which took them 15 or 20 years to acquire. We want it now. We want our first home to be the home. What used to take multiple years for our parents to build up to, we want now. It's impatience and many times it's greed. It's the lusts of our heart being enticed once again. It's finding our treasure here on earth as opposed to in Christ. Well, you may ask well, is there a time then it's okay to go into debt? I have to qualify the answer there and say, maybe. But first, if you're going to go into debt, I have some questions for you as well. Questions to ask, C. Questions to ask before incurring debt. I find these very helpful from my own heart. Number one, is not having enough resources to pay cash for what I want God's way of telling me it isn't his will for me to buy it? Number two, if a lack of wisdom has put me in the position where I can't afford to buy something, wouldn't I do better to learn God's lesson by foregoing it until, by his provision and diligence, my diligence, I save enough money? Number three, is God encouraging me to pray for provision rather than take things into my own hands by borrowing? Might he be encouraging me to pray rather than to presume upon him and how he might provide in the future by going ahead and charging it? Might God want to teach us patience but also prayer and trust in this matter? along those lines. Number four. Is debt my way of getting around depending on God? Of trusting Him? Of waiting? Five. Is debt my means of short-circuiting the God-created means of acquisition? What are the God-created means? Work. Saving. Planning. Self-discipline. Patience, and yes, once again, waiting for divine provision. Six, what effect will going into debt today have on my ability or willingness to tithe and give voluntary offerings tomorrow when needs arise, when benevolent needs arise, for the pastor's college fund, for that land, that building that we're trusting God for. What effect will your decision to today have on the needs around you and in your church tomorrow? Will you be in a place or is our thinking so short-sighted and selfish? Number seven. What effect will today's decision to go into debt have on tomorrow's freedom to follow God wherever he wants me to go? We don't know. He may have you go on a church plan someday. Are you free? Are you mobile? Are you shackled by debt, immobilized by poor decisions that you've made even years prior? Eight, by taking out a loan that commits me to make payments over a number of years, am I presuming upon God, especially if it will require more income to pay off that debt? I read from you earlier, James four fourteen. Nine, have I really exhausted all other avenues to avoid going into debt? Have I given up expensive activities, hobbies, and memberships? Have I liquidated valuable possessions to pay for that which I'm wanting to get and attempted to use debt to get? Ten, if we must go into debt to provide for, quote, my needs, in quotes, is it because my needs are really wants in disguise? Or have I spent so much on my wants that there is not enough left for my needs? Great questions to ask, to discern our own hearts in this matter. What is the heart? What is the heart of the matter? Instead of credits, that God wants to work in us contentment. Instead of credit, God wants to work in our hearts, contentment. Questions to ask yourself. Do I believe that God knows best what my needs are? Am I really convinced of that? Number two, do I believe that God will provide for those things he wants for us? I love this quote from Andy Alcorn in your notes. Borrowing may be a strong statement of my doubts, about thou what his power i.e. to provide, his goodness, his desire to provide, or his love for me, as well as his promises to provide. Many of us are familiar with the verse from Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. What are all those things? Clothing, food, shelter, the necessities of life. That is God's promise for us, for those who await and trust upon him and seek him first. Well, with that in mind, what are some of those essentials now for becoming and remaining debt free and thus truly free to respond to God and to please Him. Well, number one, it means determining essentials for living, that you can differentiate between your wants and your needs. Use a written plan on all expenditures in their order of importance. See, this order of importance is crucial. Because we have lost the point of reference between needs, wants, and desires. We say, "Corey, what are? How do you define needs?" Well, I think I have it in your notes there. Needs are purchases necessary to provide your basic requirements. I'm talking about food, clothing, a job, home, medical coverage, etc. First Timothy six eight says, "If we have food and covering, with these, well, we we shall be content." Those are needs. So, what are wants then? Wants involve choices about quality of goods to be used. What are wants? For example, it's dress clothes over work clothes, it's steak versus hamburger, it's a new car versus used car. There are choices to be made. Many of these are not needs, they're wants. How about desires? These are choices. According to God's plan, that can be made only out of surplus funds after all other obligations have been met. Can you distinguish between your true needs, wants, and desires? Number two, essentials for becoming and remaining debt-free. Thinking before buying. Some helpful questions here for you. Have I assessed whether it is a need, a want, or desire? Is this the best possible buy I can get? Or am I purchasing only because I have this credit card? Three, is it a highly depreciative item? Am I buying something that will devalue quickly? Lastly, does it require costly upkeep? Learn to think before you buy. Thirdly, learn to trust God. God knows each and every one of our needs before we even ask. So begin to trust him for the things that you can't afford. He knows what your needs are. Do not charge to get them. Wait for God's provision. And as you wait, vocalize your faith in him, in prayer. Vocalize it to your family. And then celebrate when God does meet that need. What a great opportunity, especially for you fathers as well. We have a little notebook at home. We have prayer nights usually on Thursday evenings, tonight. And we pray for a variety of people. But we also sometimes pray for things that we're trusting God for. And it's so cool when we wait and we see God provide. I can go back to that date, to that entry in our prayer log. Check. Kids, isn't God good? See how He has provided. Six months ago, we were praying for this, and He has provided. Use this opportunity to build your faith and that of your spouse or that of your children as well. But also, learn to do this. Thank God when He doesn't provide for what you want as well. Exercise faith. Lord, thank you for your wisdom. I think I need that but apparently you don't. You are wise. You are the sovereign one. Can you thank him and believe that, you know what? I believe I'm better off without that. For if God truly wanted me to have it, I believe I would. But he has not seen fit. I trust you, Lord, with that decision. Thank you, Lord. Verbalize it. Vocalize it. Four, learn contentment and that which breeds discontentment. Much more I could say here. The reality is, the more television you watch, the more you will spend. It's called advertising. The more you look at catalogs and magazines, the more you will spend. And the more you shop, the more you will spend as well. Much more, you get the picture. Well, lastly, what are some steps that you can take to become free from debt? Number one, it's so obvious we often miss it. Pray. let's open up. if you have was with you, if not it's okay, I'm going to read from second Kings chapter 4. just to build our faith here. I realize this is a lot of information. There may be conviction coming upon you. I don't apologize for that. I hope it's from the Holy Spirit. And not from necessarily my words manipulation, but I also want to give you hope this morning, this evening, as well. God is merciful; He is kind, and God can extricate you from the greatest pit that you may be in, from great debt included. Second Kings, if I can find it here. 4 verses 1 through 7. Okay, I'm there. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor, ah, the creditor, has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. I love that story. I'm glad it's in the Bible. Some of you may need to hear that as well. God is merciful. Come, pray, asking for mercy. I'm not saying God will provide that supernatural way for every one of us. But he may. You may be surprised how God will help you save and conserve money. How he may bring money from the most unexpected sources. As we come to him, as we acknowledge, yes, our sin in this area in many cases, as we humble ourselves before him and ask, I believe he does want to provide. He wants you to be free from the debt, from the slavery of debt. Number one, pray. Number two, give to God first. The first thing we can do when we were in debt is to rob from God. That is, fail to give to Him what is due. That is, I believe, the first fruits of all that He gives us. I believe you should be tithing. Even if you're in debt, don't steal from God in order to pay. That is not making right. Give to God what belongs to Him. Oh, this is tempting. When things are tight, I think that there's debt in mine. But let's not take from God. Give to God first. Number three, stop all forms of borrowing. This includes credit card use, personal bank loans, family loans, student loans, and consumer debt. If you need to, evaluate the feasibility of converting your assets, that which you do have to pay off the debts. Stop all forms of borrowing. For some of you, that may mean doing a little plastic surgery, cutting up your credit cards, and saying, no more. Four, develop a balanced budget. This can be a primary tool in helping you stay out of debt. We're going to spend... The fourth class talking about developing a budget. I'm not going to develop it here, but it's a crucial part of the plan. Five, work out a payback plan with your creditors. Most creditors are willing to work with people who honestly want to repay them. Make sure that every creditor gets something, but stay within the guidelines of your budget. Six, use the debt snowball method. Larry Burkett, Dave Ramsey, and many others have advocated this system. I think it is a wise one of paying off your loans. i want to spend a few minutes here so you would understand this. You may say, where do I start, Corey? I have multiple credit cards, multiple debts. I don't even know where to begin. Well, here's how you can begin. Number one, list all of your debts on a piece of paper, on a spreadsheet, from smallest to largest regardless of interest rate smallest to largest secondly pay the minimum payment to stay current on all the debts except the smallest you want to put every dollar you can find into paying off that smallest debt first why? just get some momentum some accomplishment there's something encouraging about paying off that first debt, knocking it off, moving on to the second. So you knock off that first, that smallest debt. It is paid in full. Then take the money that you used to pay on that first debt, the smallest debt, use that now to pay off your second debt as well. And then use the money that you used to pay off your first and second debt, now wrap it in to paying off the third debt. Let's look at a chart here so we can explain that It's a little to make it a little more clear. I have a chart here. This person who has multiple debts, they've listed them. Once again, they've listed it from smallest to largest. You'll see the gas card being first. The balance is 40, excuse me, $400. The payment, $60. What should you do? Pay off the minimum. The second column, if you're all able, in each column and then work on paying off that $400 as quickly, as soon as possible. And then take that $60, that minimum payment, you've got to pay off that loan, and wrap it into your second. So now instead of paying the minimum on your MasterCard, the $70, you're now paying what each month? $130. You got it? $130. you are making progress. Once you pay out the MasterCard, that $700 balance, you now take that $130 minimum payments on the first two debts and wrap it into your payment for Visa. So instead of paying a minimum of $200, you're now paying what? $330. You got it. So on and so on until every debt is paid off in full. The debt snowball method. It will take time. It will take diligence. It will take faith. But it can be done. Seven, practice saving. You may say, you're talking about like getting out of debt. Now you're saying tithe, and now you're saying save. Well, I would say that it is wise to at least have an emergency fund before you pay off debt. As I read wisdom it's going to vary here, I would say, at least $1,000 that you would have as an emergency fund. So you're not paying off your debt, but have no savings and some unexpected expense hits and you're right back in that debt spiral again. So I would encourage you to at least have $1,000 possibly saved up and then pay off your debts. In the meantime, you may not have much to save at all. It may just be $5 a month that you're saving. Start there. Start small. Cultivate the habit of spending. We're about breaking old habits and establishing new habits. We're paying off debt aggressively. We're tithing. We're not compromising there. We're learning to save even just a little bit. We're cultivating new habits to replace the old ones. Practice saving. And lastly, eight, pursue godly counsel and accountability. Don't give up open up to others. You're going to need help here. You can't do it alone. Getting out of debt is a gradual process. And so is getting out of debt as well. In conclusion, I read from Proverbs 6, 1-5 earlier on here, at near the beginning. That's interesting. I love this word picture that the father presents to the son. If I can find it here. Yes. I'm thinking of Proverbs 6. Verse 5. He says, Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. Dave Ramsey in his book, Total Money Makeover, has a great story about the cheetah and the gazelle. And I have a story as well. If I had a chance to go to Africa several years ago had a chance to go on an African safari. And one of the highlights was being able to travel in this little Volkswagen-type bug with the top cut off, you know, so you could see out. And we were able to go within probably eight feet of two cheetahs in the wild who were on the hunt. And they were stalking a herd, a pack, I don't know what they call them, a prey, most of them were wildebeest, who were about 200 yards away. And we pulled up, and I'm standing right there in the van watching the cheetahs. And they are locked on to the wildebeests, their prey. But so are the wildebeests and those who are out in the fields. Every move, every twitch of muscle by the cheetahs, the wildebeests were ready to flee. Wherever they walked, they did not take their eyes off the cheetahs they were not going to be dinner for the cheetahs that night. There was an intensity to their gaze. It was a matter of life and death. Why? The cheetah is the fastest mammal on land. A cheetah can go from zero to 45 miles per hour in four leaps. Four. You can't outrun a cheetah, but you can outmaneuver him. And what I learned as well from Dave Ramsey here is that actually a cheetah only gets his prey one out of 19 times. Not because the other prey is quicker, but they're vigilant and they can outmaneuver. What a picture for some of you who are in debt tonight to have that gazelle-like intensity, to have that aggressive stance. This is... A matter of slavery. This is a matter of freedom. Your own freedom. Do you have that intensity and intentionality about getting out of debt as soon as you are able? It's going to take tenacity. It's going to take courage. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of hard work. And it's going to take faith as well, is it not? Well, perhaps you have felt a level of conviction as we've spoken this evening. I do believe that's good. I praise the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to hear that you're not alone in this matter. Maybe you feel stuck right now. You feel the shackles around you. Well, God is our help and our refuge. He wants to help you tonight. It's not just about our striving, or plans. I believe we need to have plans in place to work ourselves in a place where we're no longer in debt. But we need to be coming to God and appealing for him for grace. I go so often to Hebrews 12, verse 4. <sighs> so helpful for me. I hope it is for you as well. I live here. <laughs> it goes like this. Since then we have the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. Christ has been tempted in every way you have, including materially speaking. I was just going to Matthew 4 with my kids this morning the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. What did Satan say? To Christ. Hey, I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? He didn't give. Hey, Christ, let's go up to the mountain here. Worship me. I'll give you all this. All the kingdoms will be yours. Nope. Satan did not put the Lord your God to the test. He was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. That is the high priest that we have that we can come to. He knows our weakness in this area of finances and even debt. And he sympathizes us with us. But more than that, there's a throne of grace for us as well. Moving on, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is mercy and grace for you tonight if you feel stuck in this area and you need help. We have a great high priest and he is there. So what's your homework for this week? Got a little homework, many of you. Number one, it may be repent. you have not made Christ your treasure for the things of this earth and you are in debt right now significant debt yes if you're honest could have been avoided but really it was a reflection of your own heart number two pray as I mentioned number three I'm asking you to list out your debts. do the debt snowball go home list out your debts, every credit card every other loan that you may have put it on a sheet face the facts Let's not put our head in the sand like ostriches. You know, we need to know where we stand, dollar by dollar. List it out, smallest to greatest, and work that debt snowball list. And then with the intensity of a gazelle, free yourself from the snare of the hunter, from bondage. If credit cards are your something block, do away with them. It may mean having a garage sale, listing things on Craigslist, start selling things that you can pay off that debt. May mean picking up an extra job or work for a season. It may, whatever you do, can do to find extra money. Go, run, in God's grace. So that is your homework for this week. Whew. We have about ten minutes left for question and answers, and I do want to preserve a little time for that there may be things that I have said not quite clear or perhaps something that you would like to ask for guidance. Yes, Dan. The verse you promoted is actually 415. Excuse me. Excuse me, it is. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh-huh. But you have been a poor steward, and you have debt as well. And many people, they just want to roll the debt and redo the mortgage and roll all the debt into the house with what you have available. Mm. Where where do you stand? Yeah, I would be aware of debt. Consolidation, okay? I'm not saying it can't be a good thing in terms of the numbers, but here's my concern. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying it's done with the symptoms. So it may provide some temporary relief in doing that, but it's not going to solve the long-term issue. Actually, from one debt consolidation firm estimates that 78% of the time after someone consolidates his credit card debt or other debt, it grows right back. 78% of the time. Because you're dealing with the symptoms, not the root. So I'm not saying don't do it, but that's not your ticket, okay? Ultimately. So do weigh it, but look at the heart. Right. So, overall, you're actually looking at paying more with most debt consolidation schemes than what you would have just paid off. With so, definitely looking at the terms of your business as well. Right, right. You may be seeing too, because that's why you get consolidated to make money. Right, yes. That's good, good point. Nanda. Good job, Nanda. Excellent. Yes, Sean. Any of the material that you uh read on your um providing any snowball strategy to pay off your mortgage quicker? Because uh they you have that that strategy for debt on any anything that you think about trying to get you home mortgage? No, I mean you can definitely list it on there. It is a debt. I would I would put the other debt first. But obviously, you're working towards that as aggressively. And the reality is, most people did not pay extra each month on the principal. I forgot what the stat was. It was amazing. I think it was like 92% or 97, 97, 97% of the people did not pay extra on their mortgage principal. That could dramatically reduce their debt. That It was in the 90s, quite high, obviously, if you can put... If you deal with the money, obviously you're working the snowball, you have no more consumer debt left, put that money you're paying in the minimum payments, now put it into extra payments on your house. You'd be amazed how quickly you can bring that down, the principal. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, Chris, just that the principle is, um, yes, I, I'm going to pay off the debt as soon as I'm able. I realize and say, well, hey, there's tax benefits because the interest is deductible, et cetera. But first of all, that's not necessarily financially. If you do the math, to be able to postpone your, you know, the payment of your debt over five more years just so you can get a break in the taxes, it's not going to work out. <laughs> You're still losing. So I wouldn't necessarily agree with that in most cases. I can't speak for everyone. But I think this principle, it's a debt that I owe, and I'm going to try to pay it back as soon as I'm able to. So no, I'm not saying that you're, you're in sin if you're not paying extra on your mortgage each month. But I think the principle is you're attempting to pay off your debt as soon as you're able. To borrow money, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't make that as an apologetic, you know, that, that scripture as far as for borrowing. Um I think we have to go through the heart questions first, as you talked about, Cindy. And uh, I'd be very leery from borrowing, you know, from even friends. And there might be times where you need to, that could also strain the relationship. Um, I'm also, she's also being also a prophet from God is speaking to her as well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is a little different than us or we get as well. So I'd be a little leery if you felt God called you or spoke to you to go borrow money. I think we'd say we're in a little different category than the widow during life's time. But I wouldn't build a case around that personally. Personally, I think the narrative is there to show God's grace and his mercy and uh, whether than draw a conclusion that borrowing, therefore, is okay. I think we have enough sufficient scripture, the analogy of scripture taken together throughout scripture to say that it is not portrayed as a positive thing and we should be leery if we're justifying it. Any others? All right, we'll we'll conclude there. We will meet next week. We'll be speaking about giving and saving.